Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode number 30. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Jill Angie, my colleague and friend who calls herself a fat running coach. I met Jill when we were both enrolled in the Advanced Certification to Feminist Coaching, and I just love the work that she's doing to help make running and identifying as being a runner more accessible for folks who do not necessarily fit the profile of what we think of when we think of what a runner looks like, that being thin and young. In today's conversation, we talk about what society tells us about aging and body size and exercise, what kinds of thoughts might get in the way of someone starting a new type of exercise or movement, how we can respond to people who say we are quote-unquote too fat or quote-unquote too old or offer unsolicited advice to us, important things we want to remember when beginning a new type of movement and exercise, and how to get started if you want to be a runner. I also want to offer the acknowledgement of my privilege as a thin person. I don't have the lived experience of existing in a bigger body, and I'm coming at this episode from that perspective. Themes that come up around weight gain and the perimenopausal transition are themes that a person in a larger body might have been working through for their whole life, and I want to acknowledge that. Before I share our conversation, I want to offer Jill's professional bio. Jill Angie is a running coach who helps fat women start running, build body confidence, and embrace their inner athlete. She is the host of the Not Your Average Runner podcast and author of three books on running well fat. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jill. All right, welcome Jill. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Of course. So just to give a little background, Jill and I officially met in the advanced certification in feminist coaching with our mutual mentor, Carlo and Thiel. And I've been following Jill for a while and I just love the work that you do. I'm so thrilled that you agreed to come on here today. So before we get into our conversation, tell us a little bit about how you got into doing your amazing work and what it is you do. Well, I am a running coach and I help fat women over 40 start running. And um, I've been doing this for, gosh, for it's been about 10 years now. And I got started doing this because I myself, you know, I've always been uh, a fat woman ever since I was in college and you have know, been various degrees of fat, but always somewhat identified as um, as fat. And, you know, I had all the typical body image struggles, thanks to my conditioning. And somewhere along the line, I started getting sick and tired of hating on my body and feeling like I needed to lose weight to start living my life. And I, I came to, uh, to a place where, you know, that was going on in my brain. And I was starting to recognize that like, hey, actually, I can be a runner, I can be a triathlete, I can do all of these things in the body that I have right now. And also, I kind of hate my corporate job. (laughs) And I would much rather make my impact on the world, leave my legacy on the world in a totally different way uh, than I'm doing it right now. So I sort of, 
I took this huge leap and quit my job and opened a personal training studio uh, for larger bodied women and uh, and then start also started coaching running online because that's really my first love. And that was about 10 years ago. And it just has kind of snowballed to a place where I'm you know, I've got this podcast, I've written three books, and I've literally have helped thousands and thousands of women get up and running. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> oh, so good. And I just want to start off by saying, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. We need people of all sizes, all walks of life, showing that you can do what you want to, and it may look different. Um, but you know, it, just because you live in a particular body type or body size doesn't necessarily have to get in the way because of what we conceptually think of when we think of a quote unquote runner. So that leads me to my first question, which is that diet culture and anti fat bias have convinced us and conditioned us to think that you have to have a very specific body type to be able to be a runner. I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Well, uh, 100% hard agree on that statement. <laughs> That's that's for sure. And I think, I mean, when I started running, which was, gosh, about 25 years ago now, I started running because I thought it would help me lose weight. And honestly, I think that's why most people that are in fat bodies that become runners start because they think, oh, this is going to help me lose weight. And it's it's a terrible weight loss plan. It really is. <laughs> like Everybody thinks like, oh, I'm going to drop all this weight. Doesn't actually work that way. Um, but I, but I think that we've been taught a, that if you are going to do, if you're fat and you're going to do anything athletic, it should be with the aim of weight loss and not just for the joy of doing it. And so, you know, if you go to a gym as a fat person, and I recently had this experience literally last week, I joined a new gym and they gave me the whole like, okay, this is your body fat and you should be trying to lose. I'm like, stop, stop it right there. <laughs> stop talking. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, it's through that lens and it's, it's not even like, you know, the folks at the gym are trying to be mean or cruel. They've been conditioned in the same system that all of us have. And so it's just like this general belief system out there that like, if you're fat, you should be trying to lose weight. If you're fat, you must be unhealthy. We're just taught this. And so I don't necessarily you know, think that the folks who are at the gym or the folks that are telling me like, oh, you need to lose weight. It's not like they're being jerks. They're, they're true. They've truly been taught like I should be helping somebody lose weight because that's what you're supposed to do. I kind of lost the thread of the question a little bit, <laughs> but totally fine. Rants and tangents are a hundred percent welcome here. So <laughs> go for life. it. Yeah. All good. Well, okay. I'd love to actually ask you a question about something that you said, which is, and I mean, we're obviously diving right into it here, but you said if you move your body, a lot of people think it should be with the purpose of losing weight as opposed to just because you enjoy it. I, I just really want to take a pause and let that sink in because I think that all people kind of have that idea that exercise should be for the purpose of attaining a particular size or shape of, of your body. But I would I would assume, and of course, I want to give the caveat that I'm acknowledging that I do live in a thin body and I have thin privilege. But I'm assuming from what you say and what I hear from a lot of my patients and clients that it would probably be extra pressure 
on that if you live in a larger body if, or if you have or if you are a fat person. And so we have all these experiences and again especially people that are that are in larger bodies would go to a fitness center or a class or something like that and then they would have all of this kind of opinion put upon them by the people that they're looking to for guidance. So what would you suggest that people say, or how could they begin to advocate for themselves in those situations where they're like, no, actually, I'm not in this to shrink my body. I just want to enjoy it or or learn a new skill. I mean, I think you do exactly that. So when you show up to a gym or to work with a fitness professional, you know, that they, they have a certain, they often have a certain script that they're required to follow. And you can say, Hey, I respect that, you know, your, your organization expects you to ask these questions. However, these are the goals that I want to achieve. These are the things that I want to achieve here while I'm, you know, working with you while I'm at this gym. It really has nothing to do with weight loss. I'm just interested in learning how to do the moves properly and how to exercise safely and or, you know, how to deadlift uh, 200 pounds or whatever it is that you want to learn. You can just say, like, can we please take my weight and my body fat and all of that off the table because I'm not really interested in pursuing that. And I mean, you may get some pushback, right? Especially if you're dealing with a salesperson when you're trying to join the gym or something like that. And it really is okay, especially as a woman, right? If you're if you've been socialized as a woman and you believe like, oh, I can't make waves or or what have you, it's okay to just say no, thank you. And it's okay to walk away. And it's it it doesn't mean that you're because we're socialized like I need to be nice, I need to be polite, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so we say, okay, what's well, okay for them to hurt my feelings? <laughs> it's okay for my for me to feel bad because I don't want this other person to feel bad. No, it's it's always okay to state your requirements and you may feel a little bit nervous, right? I know way back in the day, I my voice would shake and I and I'd be like, I'm really sorry, but that's just not what I want. And I, you know, I probably came off as kind of like a little, like very insecure, but with practice, I think it gets easier and, you know, it, it feels very empowering to stand up for yourself and to state your needs. Even if you, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if you totally flubbed the way you wanted to say it, it's still very empowering to speak your own requirements and, you know, it, when you're having conversations and to advocate for yourself, it's not going to be perfect. That's okay. I love that so much. And I I just want to highlight something that you said, which is that it's a practice and you might do it in a way the first time that doesn't feel great or feels really awkward, or maybe you look back at it in hindsight and didn't say it quite the way that you would have liked to. But that's the idea. You just keep going back and practicing and building a skill, just like if you were you know, trying to strengthen your bicep, you wouldn't expect to lift, you know, 50 pounds first thing. You start with little steps and you get better and better and better. And you don't expect yourself to get it right, right off the hop, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is that so you mostly work with folks who are looking to start running, to begin a running practice. So I'm interested in hearing what are some of the most common thoughts that come up for people when they're trying to start this process that might get in the way of them getting started or succeeding? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I'd say the top three are probably uh, I'm too fat slash old slash out of shape. I'm too fill in the blank to do it. Right. So there's, that's a common one. 
Um, I might get hurt. I might injure myself is another common one. And uh, people are like the what other people are going to think either about being a fat person and running or what I look like when I'm running or what I look like in running gear. Right. So that I would say those are like the top three genres <laughs> of concerns when somebody uh, in a fat body wants to start running. And I would imagine that those thoughts, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that those thoughts that people are thinking about themselves would probably be far more likely to get in their way than, let's say, actually getting an injury. Yeah. And and it's right. I think there's this, well, and I, I've done, <laughs> I've done a lot of Instagram reels about this exact topic is there's this belief out there that if you're fat and you run, you're going to destroy your joints. And that's, you know, that's actually not true. Running is great for the joints, especially for the knees. The thing that causes joint issues is a lack of strength or improper training or doing too much too soon, right? And so the key is is not to just jump into it and do all of the things. The key is to like kind of work on your mindset, work on your thinking and start out slowly and you know, ease into it. And that's much more likely to protect your joints than, you know, losing weight first or what. Because I know plenty of skinny runners that have knee problems. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a fat runner. I do not have knee problems. And so it really, it really re- is a very individual thing. So I think that that thought I might get injured is a real blocker. And so it keeps people from even trying and finding out. And the other thing, this is uh, just going off on a little knee rant again. Most of the time when we have knee pain when we're running, it doesn't mean we're destroying our joints. Most knee pain is muscular in uh, in nature, and it's really a matter of uh, some rest, some flexibility, and probably some strength training to clean that up. It is rarely like caused by an actual problem in the joint with your bones and your cartilage. That's just a little aside rant. I love that. Like that. And we will definitely <laughs> highlight that quote because I think it's really important for people to know that it's it has nothing to do with the size of your body. There are so many other things that contribute to it, but size is not one of them. So really good to know. Thank you for highlighting that. So <laughs> that brings me to my next question, which is if people are starting to think about getting into a practice like this, okay, I'd really like to become a runner. I like the idea of it. I think I would enjoy it. Um, you already mentioned a couple of considerations like learning proper skill and not getting into it too quickly or um, too much too fast. What are some other considerations or what are the main considerations from your perspective that you want people to know when they're just getting started with this type of thing? Yeah. I, I mean, I start out all of my clients with a, um, we, we, first of all, we ease into it. We start out with a run-walk approach. And actually, many of my clients, including myself, continue to use the run-walk approach indefinitely. Uh, that's how I choose to run. That's how a lot of people choose to run. But regardless, um, I, I think that one of the considerations is if you can jog for 20 seconds, you can start running. Okay. And most people, right, even if you're in a fat body, can comfortably jog for 20 seconds. And like, it might not feel great. <laughs> it might not be like, wow, you know, I I really kill that. But you, if you can jog for 20 seconds, you can start running. And I think that like, that's the thought that I want to give people. If you can jog for 20 seconds, you don't have to sprint. I don't teach people how to sprint. I'm not an Olympic coach. <laughs> um, 
right? Jog and by jogging, I mean just like faster than a walk, right? Picking up the pace a little bit and, you know, kind of in a little bit of a trot. That's it. And so I think that is one thought that is super helpful to people is they start thinking, hey, well, I can jog for 20 seconds. So maybe I can do this. It's a lot more powerful than, well, I can't run for, I can't run a mile. So I shouldn't even bother. I love that so much. And I think it's important to highlight that we can get into some pretty black and white, all or nothing thinking when it comes to this. We A lot of people think, well, if I can't immediately run a five kilometer race and you know it, it would be miles for you, I'm up in Canada. So we think in <laughs> kilometers, but if I can't immediately run five kilometers at a really good speed, then you just shouldn't do it at all. What would you have to say to that? Yeah. I mean, nobody starts out running 5Ks. Uh, like, first of all, nobody starts out running 5Ks without stopping unless you're, you know, a 17 year old running track. Right. And like, you know, maybe maybe if you're like a lot younger, <laughs> and you're like already pretty fit from other activities. Yeah, you might be able to do it. But like the other 99.9% of the world needs to train and needs to work up to it. And so I think that it's it's valuable to understand that everybody has to start somewhere even thin people, even super fit people, right? It, it's not like, oh, it's just it's just easier for some people. It's Running is hard for everybody, whether you're thin or whether you're fat, uh, because it requires you to, you know, move your body in a way that's not at rest, <laughs> right? We like to rest. We like to be like relaxed. And so I think that that belief and I, and I get it, right? A lot of us are perfectionists, right? Again, if you're socialized as a woman, you're socialized to believe that you have to do everything right and you have to please everybody. And so we kind of think, well, if I can't do a 5k and if I come in, a, another big thought is what if I come in last, right? That's a huge fear for most beginning runners. And I'm like, I don't know, I've come in last a bunch of times and nobody's yelled at me nobody has said, oh my gosh, you should be so embarrassed. In fact, a lot of times the people that come in last in a race are, there's people that are clapping for them and celebrating. And also when you come in last, there's nobody else in your race pictures. There's a lot of good stuff about coming in last, but that is a fear. They're like, well, if I come in last, then I've done something wrong. I'm not a real runner, right? There are all kinds of thoughts come up. We make it mean failure instead of looking at like, wow, I just finished that race. So I think... Yeah, this belief that it has to be perfect, this belief that you have to be at a certain level already before you've done any training is, it's a dream killer, right? And so I'm like, let's just, it, you just jog for 20 seconds. And you know what? If you can't jog for 20 seconds, jog for 10 seconds and we'll work up to 20 seconds, right? There is no, there is no rule that says to be a runner, you have to start at this level because sometimes we've got to work up to that level. So good. And I think that this applies to the direction that I want to take it next as well. Um, so, I mean, we we kind of covered the area, well, we extensively covered the area where the body size doesn't necessarily matter. But I also want to touch on age a little bit because your audience and your clients specifically are over 40. Um, and when we're in the perimenopausal transition or kind of approaching that, we get this thought pattern that we're like over the hill and we're aging and we're drying up and we're, we can no longer do what we used to. So what advice would you have for people who are thinking, I'd love to start running, but I'm kind of too old, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty common 
thing that I hear, especially because as you know, you know, as you start moving through menopause, perimenopause and, and into postmenopause, there are like, your body does suddenly have like new aches and pains. You're like, what, where did that come from? Right. And like, you, like you'll have these weird symptoms. And I remember as I was heading into perimenopause myself, I was uh, like, I felt like somebody else was kind of effing around with my body. I'm like, what is, what are you doing? Like, it felt like I was, I was in somebody else's body. I was getting vertigo and I was getting night sweats, you know, all the things. And so I think, and, and like weird achiness in my joints that I never, ever had before. And so I think there can be this belief that, oh, my joints hurt. And so I probably shouldn't do those things, right? I'm having these weird symptoms, so I probably shouldn't start running. And I kind of feel like that's actually an invitation to start moving your body in different ways. Because I have found that my menopausal symptoms are much better managed when I am more active, uh, especially the hot flashes. Oh my goodness. Um, But yeah, I, I do think that there's this sort of belief that like, oh, I'm winding down, right? And and I mean, my approach to menopause has sort of been to flip the script and to be like, oh, I'm ramping up, right? Like I'm getting all of this unnecessary like body activity out of the way, no more period, no more, none of that so that I can focus all my energy on like becoming the best version of myself that I can. And so like to me, it's about flipping the script, I guess, to like, oh, my body's not winding down, my body's not drying up. It's just shifting into a different gear. And it I think it's a higher gear. And I feel like we accomplish so much more once we have all of the menopausal nonsense out of the way. <laughs> I think you just dropped that million dollar bomb just right there, where I, I don't even think that I've thought about it in this way. And I've worked with thousands of people who are going through this transition. But I think that idea of well, I no longer have to use my effort and energy and physiology to <laughs> menstruate and regulate my hormones every month so I can channel it into things that I actually consciously want to do with my body. What an amazing thought. What an amazing gift. I love that so much. Yeah. I, I feel like menopause has been the best thing that ever happened to me. It's amazing. Like It's just so much freedom. So much freedom. Yeah. And what an opportunity to, I mean, I always talk about it kind of being the second puberty that nobody talks about because it's just as tumultuous. It's just, it brings everything into question, just like your first puberty. It's a total identity shift. And for some people, an identity crisis, but it gives us the opportunity to become basically a brand new person or a brand new version of ourselves. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And it's, well, it's interesting because my, um, my starting of this phase of my business, this phase of my life, quitting my job really was happened around the same time as I started experiencing perimenopause symptoms. And I I don't think that's a a coincidence. I think it was like my body and brain were starting to change and it just unlocked the ability for me to see a different future for myself. And, you know, it's like it's been amazing. And I, and I kind of wish that for everybody that I work with, like, just like, let's look at this as, you know, this is, this is your next act and let's go. So good. So many good nuggets today. I'm loving this. Okay. (laughs) So let's talk about some practical tips. Somebody's hearing this and for the first time it's coming to their mind. Okay. I think I want to start running. 
I'm I've listened to this episode. I'm going to give my permission to give this give myself permission to give this a try. What would be the one tip or piece of advice that you would give people that are brand new, haven't started yet, just about to get started? Yes. So you're if you're going to go out and you're going to do your very first training run, I want you to walk for five minutes to warm up your body, to get all those joints ready to go. And then I want you to jog for 20 seconds and walk for a minute and jog for 20 seconds and walk for a minute, right? And just do that, I don't know, five times, 10 times, whatever feels good. But the key is you don't, you don't like estimate it in your brain. You don't keep looking at your watch, get yourself either a free app or, you know, if you've got an Apple watch, you can do it on your Apple watch, but actually use a timer to count out those intervals. Cause that's going to make all the difference. Cause if you're kind of eyeballing like, Oh, I'm going to run about 20 seconds, right? You might actually run for a minute and then be like completely exhausted. So I want you to jog for 20 seconds, or if that 20 seconds feels hard, jog for 15 seconds, but use a timer. That is my number one tip to make the run walk intervals consistent and even and it's going to make you feel so much better at the end and then you're going to do a little happy dance when you're done because you're like i i'm a runner now i just did that i'm a runner yeah i am (laughs) so good and i i kind of want to piggyback on that with one more question which is I talk to people a lot in clinical practice who are wanting to get more movement into their life, whether it's running or some kind of other activity. And they talk about kind of the barriers that that keep them from getting there on a daily basis. And so I want to talk a little bit about workout attire because I have conversations with people where it's like, well, it's still exercise. Even if you don't change your clothes, it's still movement and it's still good for you. Even if you don't have a, you know, skin tight yoga Lululemon outfit that you put on, but um, are there anything or any things that you can think of that actually are important? Um, for example, shoes come to mind. How important are shoes or other running gear when it comes to getting started? Okay. So I have many thoughts on this. Um, I do want to share a quick story. And that is like on the topic of like, it doesn't count unless you're wearing workout gear. In my old neighborhood, there was an elderly man that would go out every day and run in chinos, a members only jacket and I don't know, some sort of shoe. And he smoked my ass every day. He was so much faster than me. (laughs) And I'm like, I cannot believe this, this old dude in chinos (laughs) members only jacket is like blowing me out of the water. So you actually, you know, do not really need all of the fancy gear. But that being said, uh, the two most important things for uh, a runner in particular, a fat runner are your shoes and your sports bra. Okay. So the shoes, uh, that's probably the number one question I get asked is what are the best shoes? And there is no good answer to that because it's important for you to go to a running store and actually sit down, have them measure your feet, have them watch you run and run or walk on a treadmill, talk to them about what your uh, running routine is going to be like, what your fitness history is like, and have them give you a few pairs of shoes to try. And what what often happens is my new runners are like, I can't go into that running store. I don't belong there. They're gonna laugh at me. I'm too fat. They're you know they're not gonna have anything to fit me. I'm like, listen, you got you got feet. We all have feet. There's there's a there's not as much of a range of sizes with feet as there is with bodies. I promise they're gonna have a shoe to fit you. Uh, but I think like that is the shoes are probably the the most important thing. 
Um, because if you're if you're wearing, you know, like don't go don't go to, you know, the local discount store and buy some walking shoes or some cross trainers on sale because they really that really does impact your ability to run. And if you're fat, you're carrying, you know, you're carrying that extra weight. Um, you know, the shoes are actually going to be pretty important because you might want something with more cushioning. You might want something with a little more foot foot support, but please, please go to a running store. And I promise you, I'm going to give you some new thoughts to think about the running store. Um, everybody there wants you to be a runner. They are excited because if you become a runner, you're going to keep coming back and buying more shoes, (laughs) right? So there's that. And they want to make sure that you find the right shoe so that you don't return them, right? So it is in their best interest, even if they're thinking things in their brain, and they might, who knows? It is still in their best interest to treat you well, to respect you, and to find you the shoes that are the best for you, okay? So you belong. That's another thought you can think. If you're a runner, you belong. If you go out and you run 20 seconds tomorrow, boom, you're a runner. Now you belong at the running store. I want you to go there and get yourself a pair of shoes. Okay. Second most important thing is your sports bra. So if you're, if you are somebody who's a a smaller chested, like maybe a B cup or an A cup, regardless of whether you are a fat bodied person or not, it's not as important. You can go and, you know, get like the cheap running bra at old Navy or whatever your favorite store is. Um, But if you are a C cup or higher, you are going to want a bra that is rated for high impact motion control. My favorite bra is the Enel bra, E-N-E-L-L. They are, (laughs) I wear them all the time. I love them so much. I know the owner of the company. Um, It's literally the only bra I'll run in. And they come in sizes from like double zero extra extra small all the way up to i think like a 52 or a 54 g so they but they are rated for to be no bounce and you know a lot of times women are like well i'm gonna wear two sports bras just to kind of keep everything under control and like for the cost of two sports bras you could get an enel which is going to work a lot better so go get that and there are other great running bras out there but i highly recommend the enel but please 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 get something to keep your chest from bouncing around too much because it's because if it bounces it's going to hurt right it's going to throw off your center of gravity it's going to throw off your running gate like you literally could (laughs) <laughs> create injuries if there's too much bounce and it's going to keep you from wanting to come back. So get that taken care of too. I love that. And by the way, maybe you should become an affiliate for Enel. Oh, I am. Could... I have a code if you would like me to share it with okay, you. Okay. <laughs> send me the code. I will put it because I'm assuming it'll allow us, our, our listeners to get a discount as well. So send that through. I do. I have a 20% off discount code and you'll get free shipping. So I'll hook you up. Amazing. So yeah, send that through. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes for anybody that wants to talk to check out email. That sounds amazing. Okay. So of course, everybody's next question is how do I work with Jill? She's amazing. So tell people where they can find you and follow you and how they can work with you. All right. Well, um, you can work with me. Well, let me, let's start with follow me, follow me on Instagram. I'm at not your average runner. I'm also on Facebook at not your average runner. My website is not your average runner.com. I try to keep it simple. Um, and on not your average runner.com, I actually have a free 30 day start running program that will, um, you know, get you your first 30 days as a runner and, and help you get up and and running and enjoying it. Um, and if you want to work with me further, I have a program called Run Your Best Life in which I combine um, running and uh, thought work and and kind of like, uh, you know, mindset concepts together so that you're not only 
running and achieving all of your running goals, you're elevating your entire life as well. Oh, I love that so much. Jill, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your expertise and all of those very useful tips. And I'll look forward to having you back sometime to chat more about movement. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. So that was my conversation with Jill. I know there are some major golden nuggets in that episode for everybody, but if you really resonated with what she was saying, please find, follow, and work with her. I'll link all of that up in the show notes. That's it for me today. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapillar.com and click on work with me in the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.